Good to see all of you here this morning. I invite you to turn to uh, Mark chapter 9. And we're going to look at some words of Jesus today as we uh, do ministry and bear his name and things that are important for us to understand. Today's sermon is going to look a little bit different. It's sort of a a one-off sermon to fill a gap uh, as a new series gets underway next week. Somebody asked me (laughs) before the service here, before I came up to preach, so what are we doing? What series are we starting now? And I said, well, we're going to start a new one next week. It's called The Greatest Story. We're going to look in four parts of the the gospel as it's presented uh, in the big picture in the Bible from creation all the way to restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. But today, to uh, sort of uh, uh, get us up to speed, uh, there's a bit of a a one-off. So we're we're done with doubting, right? No more doubts. (laughs) Just kidding. This person said to me, yeah, Eldon, you missed half of it. And I said, that's because I have no doubts. Like, I'm... Sarcasm. Anyway, it's good. It's good that you're here this morning. Mark chapter 9. Some time ago in the ancient and mystical time before podcasts existed, I was listening to an Insight for Living radio broadcast. Yes, that's radio. And in this uh, particular insight uh, or episode of uh, Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll recounted a time when he, as a uh, member of an organizing committee, I think he was president at that time, of the uh, American Association of uh, Bible Colleges and Seminaries. So he's part of an organizing team for this conference of Bible College and Seminary Presidents. And and being on this committee or this team, he was delegated to go pick up a certain president of a a certain college uh, who had flown in for the occasion and he was going to go to the airport to get him. So Swindoll, never having met the man and not knowing what he looked like, had difficulty uh, making the connection with him. But when they finally did connect in the airport, uh, Swindoll said to the man something along the lines of, you know, he apologized, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. So-and-so, for the delay. Given that we had never met, I didn't know what you looked like. I had difficulty finding you. And the man, now offended, on top of his great annoyance at having been delayed, responded to Swindoll, that's doctor so-and-so to you. And what did you think the president of a Bible college would look like? (laughs) And Swindoll, reflecting on the situation, remembered thinking to himself at the time, you look like a jerk. (laughs) Didn't say it out loud, but right now what you look like is a jerk. And I wonder if Jesus ever felt that way about his disciples. (laughs) Just saying, Mark chapter 9, bear with me a little bit, verse 33. And when they, that's Jesus and his 12, uh, came to Capernaum, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. 
Have you ever had one of those moments uh, where you uh, where you got busted? <laughs> have you ever had one of those moments? It must have been humiliating for the twelve to be pulled aside by Jesus and to be asked the question, "Hey, what are you ta- what are you guys talking about?" Have you, ever, have you ever had one of those moments where you're talking and then all of a sudden, like a person enters the room and you're like, "Oh, we're talking about that." Must have been humiliating for these guys to be arguing about who is the greatest while standing in the presence of greatness. But maybe that was the point. They needed some humility in their lives. And so do we. If Jesus is to be great among us and do great things in us and through us for the sake of his kingdom. You see, when we pray to God, your kingdom come and your will be done, we are seeking the greatness of God, not our own. Because we have none. We want God, God's greatness and, and, and the greatness of Christ to be known in our community and in our world. And that's part of seeking the will, um, God's will and his kingdom to come. So at fall kickoff this year, I preached from Luke chapter 10 uh, about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I said that our neighbor is anyone who has a need whose need we are in a position to meet. That's our neighbor. And we identified some needs in our community and what we're trying to do to meet those needs in the name of Christ. And so I'm going to follow up on one of those initiatives about meeting needs a little bit later towards the end of this message. But today I want to add a layer to this as we talk about how we are to meet the needs of others in terms of our posture. It's important that we live out our mission Uh, We have a mission as a church, and that means uh, we see it every week here on these banners. We exist to be authentic followers of Jesus who lead others to follow him. And the greatest way that we lead others to Jesus is by meeting their needs. We serve them. And in that way, it opens up doors for us to point people to, to Jesus. So it's important that we live out this mission and our vision and our values that support what we're doing, but it's even more important to not only live it out, but it's important how we live it out. It's critical, in fact. In our text today, Jesus refers to three things that are extremely important as we bear his name and do ministry in his name. And so today I want to talk about uh, three words that, surprise, surprise, all start with the same letter. My alliteration, I want to talk about the last, the least, and the little. So let's look at the last. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all. He must be last of all. Now, this is extremely uh, counter-cultural, isn't it? I mean, we live in a me-first culture. Looking out for number one today has nothing to do with the way Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It has everything to do with self. This is our culture. I need to do what's right for me. You just need to do what's right for you. I need to take care of myself because no one else is going to take care of me. I need to stand up for myself. I have a voice. Well, so did the disciples and in the presence of of the great I am, they lost their voice awfully fast. Trending right now is the the hashtag my truth. Has anybody ever, like, are you hearing this more and more? People talking about my truth? It's like all over the place. Not only is what I say and what I think and what I do right and good for me, but it is now truth, my truth. 
and I'm going to live according to my truth. It doesn't matter what other people say. Uh, someone, so there's this, there's this uh, site, like the hashtag MyTruth, and on there someone posted recently, I read it yesterday, it said this, I am not afraid of my truth anymore. I will not omit pieces of me to make you feel comfortable. Love me for who I am or not at all. Decide if you want to be part of my history or part of my future. I am who I am. Friends, we need to think and we need to act counterculturally if we are to have any impact at all as the church of Jesus Christ. This is critical. This is critical. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus told another parable to those who were invited to a banquet. And when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you were invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus taught his disciples, first of all, that we should put ourselves in the position of the last. Secondly, Jesus said, not just the last, but the least. And he sat down and he called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. So in Jesus' time, uh, a servant held the absolute lowest uh, rung, I guess you could say, place on the pole. He was the lowest, not the greatest. And just a chapter later, uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45, I don't know if Jesus' disciples were just extremely slow learners or what the deal was, but um, it kind of makes me feel better. I don't know about you, but it makes me feel better. Just literally a chapter later, he says, he's, and, and it says this, and Jesus called them to him, and so familiar, right? Jesus just before had called the 12 and said, hey, And now he's calling them again and he says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in probably one of the greatest uh, passages in probably one of the greatest epistles of all time, Philippians chapter 2, where he said to the church, have this mind among yourselves, the same mind that Christ had, that though he was, you know, in the form of God, He didn't consider equality with God something to grasp, but he emptied himself and he became a servant. He became a slave. He became one of us. He took the lowest form that he might humble himself and go to the cross 
and give his life as a ransom for many that we might be saved. And because of that, God the Father exalted him to the highest place, the place that is above every name. So last week, um, somebody told me that, uh, how, did I, how did I phrase this? We talked about the family of God and I said, uh, and I said, listen, if you're not a, like a, a contributing sacrificial member of the family and you have a complaint about what we do or what we don't do and you come to me, I won't listen to you. Somebody, somebody told me during the week, he says, Eldon, that was pretty strong. I think maybe you might have offended some people. And I went, well, because he said, you really, you're not going to listen to people? And I said, no, 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 that's not what I said. I listen to anybody who comes to me, especially if they have needs and there's something we can do to help. But if they have a complaint, no, I'm not listening unless... <laughs> unless they're like a, 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 a serious contributor to the family, then I'll listen. So today, give me another opportunity to redeem myself a little bit. I want to put this a little bit in the positive. So in the book of Mark, there's 16 chapters. We're in chapter 9 today. And so 16 divided by 2 is 8. Right in the middle of Mark, there's this verse. And it's a turning point in the whole gospel. And it says this. And he began to teach them, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. That's the turning point right there in the book of Mark. Up until chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus had exercised incredible authority. He proved that he had authority over sickness as he healed people. He proved that he had authority over Satan as he cast out demons. He proved that he had authority over sin itself as he forgave people of their sin and cleansed them spiritually. But you know what the defining mark of his authority was? His willingness to suffer as a servant. So let me rephrase what I tried to say last week in a positive (laughs) When you're willing to lay it all down and to sacrifice as a servant, then you'll have a voice and you'll have authority. Does that make sense? That's the way of Jesus. People who want authority and they want a voice, but they're not willing to lay it down like Jesus did, doesn't fly. Doesn't fly with him, doesn't fly with me, doesn't fly with us. And this is what it means to be called to Jesus, to lay it down, to show the extent of our love for others by washing their feet. You know, one of the things that I love about John 13, where Jesus, there's that story about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. It says this, Jesus, knowing, so John wrote this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Very God got down on his hands and knees and washed the feet of those that he came to serve. He took the lowest form of a servant. Nobody washed feet except the servant. And when Jesus encountered a centurion who had authority over 
over a hundred soldiers in the Roman Empire. And, and the centurion in faith said, I have a servant. Jesus, would you come and heal him? Come to my place or would you heal my servant? Jesus says, I'll, I'll come right away and heal him. And the, and the centurion said, no, no, no. You, you don't need to show up. You, you just say the word and it's done because I know what it means to have authority. If I tell my servant do this, he goes and does it. If I tell the servant do this, he goes and does it. And Jesus said, wow, wow. I haven't seen such faith in all of Israel. This guy understands authority. And from that moment, it says, the centurion's servant was healed and Jesus didn't even have to show up. Do we have such faith? Do we have such a posture of authority knowing that it's in Jesus and how to exercise it properly? 1 Corinthians Paul said to the church, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? We're nothing. We're just servants through whom you came to believe. That's all we are. My question to you, church, today is, are we servants through whom others will come to believe? If Jesus had bought into the me first philosophy, we'd still be in our sins because me first doesn't sacrifice for others. Better keep moving. The little Jesus says the little. You got to become the last, the least. And he focused on the little. He sat down, called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put, them, put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. I want to pick up on a parallel passage in Matthew 18. Or Matthew put it this way, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's the greatest? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I tell you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. You see, true ministry can only be done with childlike humility. I was talking with somebody just before the servant who was, or the service, <laughs> they're a servant too, I was talking with me just before the service about their grandchild who's now 14 months old. And this, and this uh, their grandchild laughs at everything, has incredible joy, just laughs all the time. And what children can teach us about Jesus and his kingdom and his ways and doing ministry in his name, to be so innocent, to be so joyful, to be so loving, so trusting, is amazing. So consequently, some of the best ministry we can do is with, with childlike humility, but also to children and among children. And Jesus said, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prof prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward and whoever gives one of these little ones 
even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple. Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So today we're focusing on doing ministry in the name of Christ, in the kingdom of God, and seeking his will by becoming the last, the least, and the little. And I'm really excited today, rather than me making kind of some application to this sermon and telling you uh, kind of how to do this. <laughs> and she's already making her way. I love it. Uh, cued right up. Cheryl Schultz. Uh, welcome, Cheryl, today, would you? I'm, uh, don't turn that on yet. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited that you're here. Sad that Tyler couldn't be here, but it just didn't work out that way. Uh, he's uh, traveling for business in the, in the U.S. And uh, Tyler and Cheryl uh, are uh, missionaries uh, from Central. They served with MB Mission in Burundi together with their family, wonderful family. And I want to say to you right up front, like you're, you came back early because your dad was sick and he passed away. So my condolences to you. We've been praying for you as a family uh, and excited uh, as well to hear what God did through you. And I think it's going to tie in wonderfully with God's word today. So Cheryl, here you go. Good morning. It's just over a year since we were shared here in Agassiz, my husband and I, last time. And I want to say thank you for your prayers and for your support. Uh, we went back and we did almost, almost the full year that we thought we would before we came back early because of my dad's sickness. So thank you so much for your prayers and support. I'm going to share a few uh, little stories with you about our time in Burundi, and I hope we'll be encouraged and inspired to do ministry here in Agassiz and in the Fraser Valley. And um, I also want to give you a bit, some of you don't know about Burundi, it's in Africa. I just want to also give you a bit of a picture of what it looked like there, so you kind of know what I'm talking about. So the first picture I want to show you is a picture of my favorite kids in Africa, these are, of course, my own children and my our teammates' kids. We had six uh, girls almost the same ages together, and we had so much fun together as team. We called ourselves family. And these girls, they were so brave. They learned another language. They were often out of their comfort zone, as everywhere they went, they stood out, and kids and adults both would come to touch their hair and touch their skin and introduce themselves. And uh, our girls did a, a great job of, of doing ministry there and, and loving other people. So you can see in this picture with the girls, too, how steep the countryside is. It's a beautiful country. The lake is in the background. And if you first look at this picture, it looks like there's not very many people there. But there's actually about 11 and a half million people living in a country the size of Vancouver Island. So what that means is when you stop the truck to take a picture, you have about 20 seconds before there's a crowd of people around you. If you think you can stop for a quick bathroom break on the side of the road, you have about eight seconds before you have people coming to see who are these white people, what are they doing here, and can we talk to them? So uh, it's a beautiful country with friendly, friendly people. It is also one of the poorest countries in the world uh, and one of the hungriest. And it's made up of three tribes of people and there has been civil war uh, for the last many, many, many years. It's a struggling country. So the kids that live in the countryside in Burundi, 
you see the next picture, they, um, they are very, very poor. Most of them live in little brick houses or in huts. They all have dirt floors. There's no electricity. There's no running water. And daily survival means that their parents every day are out uh, working in the fields to try to make enough money, try to grow something to feed their kids. And their kids are largely left, as soon as they're... Uh, too big to be carried on their back, or as soon as another baby's born and the toddler gets kicked off the back of the mama who's wearing it, that means they're home alone, unsupervised all day long. They, um, the lucky kids get to go to school, but many can't afford the uniform or the pen and the notebook required to attend school. And those are the poor kids. And then you have the pygmy children who are even poorer and have a harder life. They're largely despised and discriminated against. Uh, historically, they haven't owned land. They can't get health care. Their kids don't go to school. And their children have very little hope for the future. And when you meet them, you can sense their hopelessness. So a lot of my ministry in Burundi was working at a school started by a Christian Burundian organization that built a school in a pygmy community and welcomed all the tribes. And their goal was to show them God's love, to educate them, and to break down lots of the discrimination. So there's a group of Christian teachers that are committed to working there, but really they are there as missionaries and they see themselves as missionaries and they go and they love each of those kids and they're, they're educating them and they're sharing the love of God. And Deanna and my, our team, my teammate, our role was to, uh, we wrote a French kindergarten and preschool curriculum and then we taught the teachers how to use it and we modeled um, how to tell Bible stories to kids and we, a lot of our training was with the teachers. So there was a little boy named Jean-Marie who came to the school. He was six years old, even though he was about the size of a North American three-year-old. And here's a picture of Natalie with a mama from the community. And that picture is already a couple years old. So I looked like a giant next to them. And little Jean-Marie, he came to school to kindergarten, and he looked... Complete. He looked like an empty shell of a little person. He was so malnourished. He was under-socialized. He really, he had nothing going on that you could tell in his little mind. And he believed the lie that he didn't really matter, that he had no future, that, that nobody cared for him or about him. But he came because every day he received a mug of porridge. And for many of those kids, that was the only meal they would get every day. And my favorite time at school is still recess. And every recess time, I would go outside and I would be with the kids. And one day, his, him and his little, his little group of people, they came up to me and they all had their mug of porridge. And one of them reached out and offered it to me. Now, even in Canada, I don't really want to share a little kid's drink. You know, we're all cold germs. And these kids, you know, boogers and lice and skin sores, and they're, they're really... At first glance, you think, there's no, no way I want to drink from that cup. And then you think of Mark 9, and you think, am I going to embrace the least of these? And this little boy offering a cup to a white person who, in his mind, would never, ever share a cup with him. And I took it, and I smiled, and I had a little drink, and I said, oh, biragoshe, that means it's delicious. And 20 other kids came with their mug of porridge. 
Because if I'm willing to drink his porridge, then maybe I'll, I'll drink their porridge. And, and you see, in Burundi, if you share a meal with someone, if you share from a cup or from a plate, that means you're, you're accepting them, you're interacting with them, right? And that breaks down the barriers. And everything within me wanted to be like, blah, blah, blah. it doesn't even taste good. It's not even real porridge. But, but that moment was a moment for me when I realized the impact that I can have just by sharing a mug of porridge. So little Jean-Marie, he came to school, he ate every day. Every day the teachers come, they, they said hello to him, they looked him in the eye, they taught him, and over the year we saw a change in him. He started to uh, sing along during music. He started to talk to the other kids during mealtime. Now, he's a pygmy kid, which means normally those kids wouldn't even talk to him because they would shun him but with the teachers modeling the love with people like me and the other the other people willing to say yeah I'll have a drink of your porridge you don't gross me out you're a person I see you I love you over time we saw a change in little Jean-Marie by the end of the year he was a different kid he walked to school there he is there he walked to school with his head up, looking for his friends, people happy to see him, welcome him to the game, and we saw a different kid. And, and there were so many examples like that over and over of kids' lives being transformed as they experience God's love through the teachers and staff. Part of school life is, of course, playing together. We built a gaga ball pit for them, and uh, we saw, again, kids who normally wouldn't be allowed to touch the pygmy children are all of a sudden now like hitting him with the ball and getting hit in return and and in, and in playing soccer together and having so much fun interacting the way normal healthy children the way we want to see them do that they also uh, eat together at school so they would wash hands together and even this is an example of serving one another because normally you wouldn't use the same water the same soap as a pygmy person but here the kids are they're sharing um, they're sharing a cup of water, holding the soap, passing the soap, taking care of one another, and, and serving one another. Then they eat together, and they share the same plate, and there's kind of a Play-Doh type um, food that they eat, and they use that Play-Doh in their hand to pick up the beans, and then they eat together. So here these kids are sharing from the same plate, which again, totally countercultural. And I heard the neatest story last month. These kids who at school don't see tribe anymore. They're not worried about who's a pygmy person, who's a Hutu, who's a Tutsi. They're just interacting together. And the teachers are modeling that to them. There were kids that went home and said, Mom, my friend at school needs a sweater. I noticed he doesn't have a sweater. He must be cold. Now, these aren't wealthy kids. These are just the, the town kids, the non-pygmy children. And they're going home and they're asking their mom, hey, we need to care for our friend at school. Another family went home and said, Mom, can we invite that family over after church on Sunday for a meal? Again, totally countercultural, and the parents didn't want to because they don't do that. The parents actually came to the principal at the school and said, we want to know what you're teaching our kids because we need to learn it because our kids, we like the way our kids are, but we don't, we don't know why they're this way. And through the discipleship at the school, we're seeing... Uh, the pygmy family coming to Jesus. We're seeing the non-pygmy families coming to Jesus as well because of the way their kids are showing love to their, their fellow country people. I was going to tell the kids in the crowd, but there's not very many. 
it, kids and teenagers and, well, all of us, our example that makes a difference. Our example makes a difference to the people around us, to our parents, to our families. Um, and so remember that. Doing ministry as a team and as a family, there's a few pictures of us. Um, oh, here the kids are holding hands and praying for one another. Again, a beautiful thing in that culture where there's boys and girls praying for one another. There's kids from different tribes praying together. And, um, and we're seeing that hillside transformed. So doing ministry as a team and as a family has been such a gift to us. God gave us the Hebert family, which was a perfect fit for our family. That didn't mean everything was always perfect, but for sure it, it was such a gift. And I want to tell you um, what Deanna did for our team when we first met. Deanna said to me, I want to tell you guys that I am committed to this relationship, and I'm committed to speaking well of you and to encouraging and supporting what you do. And I've had people in my life for sure that have done that for me, but I had never had a colleague or a teammate in ministry say that that directly to me. And what it did is it profoundly impacted our team because then we each spoke aloud our commitment to speaking well of one another and to encouraging and supporting. And I feel like as a church, what can we accomplish if we do that? If we say to one another, Pastor, I'm committed to speaking well of you to others and to encouraging, supporting you. Sunday school teacher or setup person or wherever we're serving together in the community, if we say to one another, I am committed to you, that's what church family is, and we have an opportunity to do it really well. Lastly, I think I've come to believe that there are little people like Jean-Marie that I showed you in the picture who are living amongst us every day. People believe the lie that they don't matter, or that what they have to offer isn't significant or isn't needed. And together, we can make a difference when we care for people's physical and emotional needs, when we give our time to show them that they are worth our time, and when we share God's love and point them to a Savior who knows them by name and is waiting to welcome them home. That's when we're doing our job. That's when we're living on mission. And God is inviting us to be a part of a huge transformation, a transformation of people's hearts, of families, and in this community. And it's an exciting time to be part of a church family. So I just want to encourage us all to commit to living on mission as a family, to commit to loving the people like Jean-Marie in our community, and to loving as Jesus loves, not as the culture tells us. So... Cheryl, that was uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for... That was more than just a report. That was... Um, there, I'm, I'm sure you could talk for hours and hours, days probably, about your experiences in Burundi, but that was practical and visible application to the text that we studied this morning. And it has great application for how we conduct ourselves here in North America, and specifically here in Agassiz. So, question for you. Did you get sick after you ate the porridge? <laughs> Probably not from that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Many times. <laughs> Many times you were sick. So, thank you for modeling for us as a congregation this morning and for our, our church and for our conference of churches, you and Tyler and your girls, 
uh, for modeling for us what it means to be, uh, to take the way of Jesus, to be the last, the least, and to serve the little. And so um, I want to transition back to our context, and then I've asked Cheryl to stay up with me so she can pray for us. Because we're trying to, um, we're trying to, we're trying to do exactly what you've modeled and what, what we're hearing from God's word as doors open for us in this community. And it's exciting. Um, a door recently has uh, opened for us at Kent Elementary uh, to prepare breakfast and lunch every day of the week for children who come to school having not eaten before school and having not brought a lunch. And they go home on weekends too with not a lot of food in the cupboards. And so on weekends, uh, 34 children, I think it is, are sent home with a backpack. So what we've, what we've done, we've been invited by the school to uh, participate in a number of ways. First of all is, uh, of course, we want to pray for them. Um, but we're, we're, we've been invited to, uh, to share our food with them. <laughs> and so there's a donation bin here that each week we can uh, fill by bringing items to church every week. And there's a grocery list. Uh, at the Welcome Center, there should be some even in the bin. I have one in my in my Bible over here. I was going to bring this up. But I put it as my bookmark in my Bible now as I'm reading uh, in Scripture. Um, I right away read along a list of things that are needed at the school. (laughs) So pick up a a grocery list. Every once in a while, they're going to need to uh, have these supplies boosted through maybe um, an item of the week or whatever. We can just say, we need a lot of this, and so I'll be notified, and we can then put those items in there. But uh, the person, there's actually one lady among us who actually makes breakfast five days a week. Same person. The others share the breakfast, uh, the lunch preparation, and shopping for the groceries. It's, it's a big task. And the school is just, just loving having us there. And it's, it's opening so many doors already for just good, building good relationships, not only with the students, but their teachers. This is fantastic. So the person who makes breakfast said, you know what, we use a lot of milk, actually, for cereal or making muffins or pancakes. So if you bring milk, bring, bring a jug of milk. Uh, we'll put it in the fridge, and then they can bring it and put it in the fridge at school on Monday morning. Uh, they need, uh, they're finding out that granola isn't going over very well. So don't bring granola anymore, okay? But they, they love pancake mix and muffin mix. So those pre-made muffin mixes and pancake mixes, those go over really well. For lunch, anything that goes well in sandwiches, so canned fish, mayo, some butter or margarine, uh, soups are welcome, spaghetti sauces, those kind of things. But we're, we're going to keep modifying the list and updating and doing items of the week. So please, please contribute. And I was told by the team, there's six ladies right now who are going to the school every week. Six. Isn't that amazing? But they said, we need two or three more. We need, a, we need a, a couple of people to say, can you like prepare a simple lunch once a week? So if you want to do that, come and talk to me. And uh, we'll, get you, we'll get the process underway of having you volunteer at Kent uh, for Central Community Church. If you can prepare a lunch once a week or a breakfast once in a while, dispel this lady off. She said, I don't mind doing it uh, five days a week. It's not a problem. But I'm sure she's going to want a break once in a while, okay? A breakfast. Or if you can shop for groceries, I've seen some of you. I know you can shop, all right? School gives you a a card, you go get money or groceries from Superstore. What we don't supply, they have to supplement. So come and talk to me and we'll get you uh, hooked up. 
we, we love to focus at Central on ministry to children. Um, so this Kent Elementary thing is fantastic. Um, loved what you had to share as we interact with the kids in our community. Kids ministry is important to us on Sunday morning. And ministry to youth is important to us Sunday night. Uh, Dan is running sound back there. He's our youth coordinator. He's only got, I think, three on the team right now, right? Is it, right? Four? Okay. Still only one female? <laughs> kind of. District youth needs more people to step up to the plate to serve the youth of our community well, Agassian and uh, Harrison. So uh, come and talk to me or to, to, to Dan if you want to get involved in serving uh, with youth or if you want to serve here Sunday morning with our children, there's always more need. Uh, this is where we want to invest the majority of our, our time, our talents, our resources into loving the children and the youth well of this church and of this community. To end a little bit, going back to the book of Mark, I have some homework for you. Mark chapter 1, go home tonight and read it, or tomorrow morning, if you have devotions in the morning. Read Mark chapter 1, and make a note of how many times it says, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately. It repeats a lot. So go home, read it, Mark chapter 1, and write down how many times it said, Mark uses the word immediately. And what it said to me as I was reading that just yesterday was, there is a sense of urgency and immediacy to what we need to do. It's the way Jesus lived his life, on mission, with a purpose. And immediately, immediately, he obeyed the Lord, it says, when the Spirit directed him, immediately. So that's your homework.